wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die. Another edition of the Toronto Till I Die podcast, the Toronto FC fan show. And it's been a minute, but the news did not stop flowing in. So we've got a ton to get to on this week's show. We're going to recap, unfortunately, TFC's 3-2 loss to rival CF Montreal last night. We're going to get into the Sebastian Javenko stuff because that obviously set Twitter aflight. And TFC fans absolutely jumped all over this one, whether you agreed or disagreed. But we're going to get all into that stuff. And, you know, I've, I've seen this narrative going around on, on social media. So I do want to discuss whether or not, you know, anything is really salvageable the rest of the season, the rest of the year. You know, we have nine games left for Toronto FC. What is there to play for? So we'll get into that. And then, of course... We'll get into this week's burning question presented by our friends at Nextdoor. And I have to say it's a pretty good one. <laughs> Thanks to our friend Josh Cloak as he just a couple hours before this show is recording live here on, on YouTube. Our friend Josh Cloak reporting uh, another bomb that John Herman is currently the favorite right now to be appointed the next Toronto FC manager. That is... Uh, you know, set some shiver down the some spines throughout TFC Live. So yeah, we'll get all into that too. But before we uh, before we do, obviously no Mike Newell this week. That's why you're hearing my lovely voice as taking over the hosting duties right now. Um, he's off enjoying a few beverages at the cottage, so we do wish him well. I know he's going to be listening back to this. Um, he will be back next week. So for now, it's just me and. My guy here, Jeffrey P. Nesker. Jeff is back from his little hiatus, his little trip, Jeff. Mm. I was Portugal, man, and yep. I was visiting Benfica. Cheers. I'm having some beverages of my own. My uh, my new favorite tipple. Uh, Mikey, it was insane. It was insane. I mean, there's, there's two clubs in the world that I think have it really figured out, and Benfica is one of them. And I would say Ajax is the other with respect to how to run a club where you're developing internally to great profit and consent and, and just making it work. Um, and then just seeing a club that's that old and that pervasive in the, in the city consciousness in the national consciousness, just how ingrained it is, how much of a lifestyle it is there. Um, and it's difficult to compare. I mean, not that we didn't try, but you know, TFC is a much younger club. Uh, and, uh, there's right. been quite a few, you know, it's, uh, it's it's a it's different strokes, but hopefully, hopefully, uh, TFC can get to the place where where Benfica is at now. It, it's cool because yeah, you you mentioned that because Benfica is a team that, as we see every transfer window, they sell a lot of big players. The mm -hmm. first one, first two that come to mind most recently, Gonzalo Ramos and going to PSG for I think it was something like 70 million pounds, maybe a bit more than that. And also Enzo Fernandez going to Chelsea. Um, yep. for, I think 120, 130 million. But yet, year in, year out, domestically, they find ways to compete and win titles. And as you mentioned, maybe that's 
kind of a a blueprint that TFC want to get to here, especially when you hear some of Jason Hernandez, some of his vision um, in terms of mm-hmm. what he wants to get the club to, referring to LAFC and how they sell some players every window and, and still make money to kind of reinvest it into their team. That that seems to be the new way of, of Major League Soccer, but obviously big differences in the culture, big differences. In yeah, the, in yeah. The- I mean, I mean, it, it was just endless surprises. The way they invest, they they embrace their women's team. I mean, it's the first thing you see when you go into the Benfica Museum is a huge display uh, of the women's team and all of their accomplishments. And we mentioned Chloe Laclasse and immediately our tour guide started tearing up because they love her there. And, and you know, proud of her move to Arsenal, obviously. But, uh, you, you you know, and then you see Angel Di Maria coming back for a, for a hometown rate to play again with with Benfica. So, you know, the club's uh, the club's able to do some some real business and. Uh, it's pretty wild. Uh, I'm no expert yet, did but you, I hope to be one with, with all these trips. Did you call him Angel Di Maria? Angel. Angel. Sorry. Sorry. He's an angel <laughs> to me. <laughs> He's an angel to a lot of people. What a player. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we'll before we get into to last night's match, there's a lot of stuff that we kind of want to break down here and just talk about. Because it has been a while since Toronto FC played a game. Um, they mm. did get one. They did get 90 minutes in last night, an eventful affair. But before we do, just some some talking points, two pressing items on our agenda that I want to get out of the way. Uh, the first one being Lionel Messi and Inter Miami winning the league's cup. It was it was a special journey. Obviously, Lionel Messi is the one that everybody's going to talk about. His ten goals in seven games, quite frankly, putting that team on his back, taking a last place Inter Miami team and propelling them all the way to the League's Cup. Um, Jeff, were you were you surprised by the outcome? Because thinking back to you know the start of League's Cup, I don't think you know everyone envisioned this fairy tale kind of playing out. But I don't know if anyone actually thought it was going to be possible with with Inter Miami around Messi and just because of the quality players they have sort of around Messi. I mean, I love how the narrative is changing from Inter Miami's roster was was garbage uh, before Messi came to now. You know, you've got Robert Taylor, Finnish international, et cetera, et cetera, ad infinitum. Um, I heard it best expressed in it feels inevitable because he makes it look so easy. And you can look at the la- at the goal he scored in the final as a microcosm. I mean, that's my favorite kind of messy goal. I'm a little biased because it's very similar to the one that I saw him score live at Camp Nou against Hatafe. But, you know, to get, to get around what was a really well def- set up defensive and Nashville team and find that space and then get off a shot with that much venom... I mean, he's an alien. It's it's otherworldly. It's insane. And there's there's a mm-hmm. tweet that's going around. I just retweeted it. Uh, it's from Football Out of Context. And they're following Messi from his last touch to before that goal. Man's just walking around, like completely just walking the pitch. Look, like for all the world, totally disinterested. Sees his opportunity, gets into a full speed, and then he's there and does that. Like, it's, it's mental. Um, it's absolutely mental. But like, you know... This idea that uh, he's making MLS look bad is just so naive. He's been taking soul since he was 11 years old, right? He's done this yeah. to La Liga. He's done this at to a lesser degree at Ligue 1. He's, he does this. This is what he does. I mean, it's not 
you know, certainly the qual- we can all agree the quality of MLS isn't isn't up to par with with La Liga when Messi was destroying it. But that doesn't. I mean, this you, you can't. He's a force multiplier. He 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 just he just is like he's in a class unto himself. Um, mm-hmm. But and then I also don't like this narrative where it's like last place Inter Miami winning League's Cup. Well, they didn't start League's Cup in last place. They weren't penalized. They didn't get you know <laughs> any kind of. They didn't have to start at a disadvantage because of their performance in, in, in the league. So they had just as well a chance to win as anybody else. You know what I mean? It's just, it just makes better coffee, but we're in, we're in messy, messy league soccer. So, so that, that stuff's going to happen all the time now. Oh yeah. I'm pushing that narrative for sure. And I think just one last thought on, on league's cup as a whole, Mm -hmm. um, actually turned out to be quite an entertaining tournament overall. But Mm -hmm. that being said, I don't think that would have been the case if it wasn't for Lionel Messi. I think that was such a big I, part of why the tournament, in my opinion, was ended up being a success. Um, that final was electric, you know, and one of the main mm-hmm. reasons why most people are turning in again is to see whether or not Lionel Messi can kind of, you know, figure it out and, and finish it off and really put a, a bow on what was an incredible run so far and it's just his debut for Inter Miami. And then me personally, it was also really cool seeing, you know, Lucas McDonald and Jacob Schaffelberg play mm-hmm. such important roles for Nashville over this journey. But had it not been for, you know, Messi, me personally, I wouldn't have been as invested in the tournament because Toronto obviously wasn't there. Um, none of the Canadian teams really made a run. And quite frankly, like I said, if it wasn't for Messi, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I would have watched. Um, yeah, I'm. Yeah, because out of spite, and and also, you know, more MLS adjacent soccer right now is bad for our souls because of this woeful campaign that we've had to suffer through. But uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I hate these takes. I mean, I I, I drag somebody who was saying, you know, Nashville's run. Uh, even before the final is is the greatest uh, performance from an MLS team against Liga MX opponents. It's the same old, same old, right? Like they didn't have to play yeah. them at hostile venues in Mexico. You know, that's a huge asterisk. So uh, if we're going to do this again, and I think we are, um, let's open it up and do some some matches in some non-US in Mexico. as quickly as possible. Yeah, as quickly yeah, as possible be cool. because that is that is such a that is such a cop out. I mean, those stadiums are horrifically hostile and they are like the 12th man out there uh it needs to happen yeah for sure um next order of business that i just want to just get out of the way um this kind of leads into last night it's it's c and e games at bmo field mm. you weren't there last night i i actually did go i attended as a fan um not often i get to do that but i and I've said this on this podcast before, I do split seasons with a few people. So I do have a couple of games that I try and, and get out to just to give myself a bit of a different experience. I was fortunate enough to take the girlfriend and, and two other friends also to the game. They don't get to a lot of games. So just to experience uh, that. And I just want to get your thoughts on, I know you've been in the past. I know you were, again, you weren't there last night, but do you like the, mm. the CNE games? Because I personally- well, I mean, I, my- I love it. Yeah. Did you show up early? Did you do the CNE beforehand or did you just go to the game and then a little bit afterward? Uh, Both. So we showed up maybe around 6 p.m. Um, Yeah. Like when when you show up around then, you can't really experience too much because there's obviously a lot of people. um, You want to get to your seats and ensure you don't really miss much of the game. Uh, But you still, you know, you got to 
go down, get that chow down on like a deep fries Mars bar, get some food, have a drink. It was still, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a nice time. And I think it's, I think it's incredible just aesthetically when nighttime falls and you have like, it was a great mm-hmm. sunset last night. Um, Unbelievable. And then you yeah. have the bright lights of the, the CNE all around you with the different rides and stuff like that. I, it, that's an interesting vibe. I, I've mm-hmm. spoke to a lot of people who don't like it because it just causes such a fuss and such a mess. But I wonder what your your thoughts are. Well, I, I, it's funny because my wife actually said this, so I'll, I'll give her I'll, I'll give her her hat tip. But she was like, "It's worth it when you go and you do the CNE, right? Mm-hmm. And you make a day out of it. It's worth it because of that added value. You know, you don't have to worry about are we going to the CNE this year because you have at least two two uh, opportunities to do it when you're a season seat holder." Right. As long as you accept that it's going to be chaos and you open your mind to the fact that it's going to be absolute chaos, which is way easier said than done. I think I think it's it's good times. Um, but I, I, I can agree with people that aren't aren't happy, you know, don't see it as added values and see it as a detriment. If you're just going to go to the game, it's a cluster F, right? Like, you know, every every year that there's a CNE game. Uh, gate one has different permutations. It's like they can never remember how they set it up last year. So the queues are always in weird, different directions. Security is always a mess. You know, you have people, um, you know, playing dumb at the gate. Like, well, why can't I bring this churro and all of these, you know, this <laughs> this time, right? Like, even though it's clearly marked on the ticket. So it, it you know, it's an exercise in frustration, but you have to know that it is, you know, it, of course it is. That's, so, that's the so, one thing I, I, I wish that, they would allow if it even if they just mm. make the exception for CNEs bringing in like food items to TFC games, a different sport, maybe different business model as well. For Jay's games, a lot of people don't know you can actually do that. You can bring in yeah, outside yeah. food into Blue Jays games. Obviously, you can't bring in out al- any alcohol and stuff like that, but you can bring in your own. You can go grab a pizza and walk into the Rogers Center with a full on pizza. So I do wish that mm-hmm. you could kind of, because obviously one of the CNE's greatest uh, attractions is just the different types of food that they have, and you know, having the ability to bring that into the stadium would be would be pretty cool. But obviously, like I said, I understand the business side of things as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, like I said, I, I just I like the fact that it created a, a bit of a different vibe down during a special, you know, summer night, a, a derby night against CF mm-hmm. Montreal. It didn't end up being as special for Toronto FC who came out on <laughs> the losing end of things here. Um so yeah, let's just mm. let's just dive into kind of last night and I would just want to start off sure before we, you know, get further in. Let's let's talk about the starting 11 here. Um notably Michael Bradley making his return to the 11 after missing the last 20 matches with a hamstring injury. Uh Prince Owosu makes his Toronto FC debut. He started as the the lone striker last night. Uh, you had Mabika and you had Shane O'Neill in over Sigurd Rosted, which I thought was a pretty interesting decision by Terry Dunfield to revert back to kind of what Bob Bradley was doing there before. And then mm-hmm. the one that, you know, ended up catching a lot of people's eyes was Brandon Cervania at right back over Kobe Franklin. That was a big one. Yeah, just what are what are your thoughts on on the eleven? I guess but let's start with uh, let's start with that Cervania and at right back over Kobe Franklin. What are your thoughts on? Yeah, I don't understand yeah. it. I don't understand it. Let's never do it again. Um, I don't think it applies to our uh, friend of the show Chris Fung's idea of getting the best players on the pitch um, because he was 
garbage in that in that right back role. I mean, he's a midfielder. Let's never do that again. Uh, we have a capable right back, and he was sitting on the bench. I I understand that. May and this sort of rolls into what's left in the season. Maybe you want to see if you can find somebody on the squad that can deputize Kobe Franklin because now you have no Richie Larea in the mix, sort of thing. And it's pretty obvious that uh, our our man Raul is is not long for this TFC shirt if his performances continue in the same vein as that one. So I can sort of make a, a, a an argument for why we were moving things around and Cervania certainly. The closest thing we've got to that Nick Deleon kind of uh, Tsubasa Endo Swiss Army knife that's still on the roster, so why not try it out? But man alive, that that didn't work. So let's never do that again. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it what was, was my other surprise? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, as I say, no, it was interesting because we have seen Cervania at right back before. Um, I think the mm-hmm. last game before the break he came on as a substitute and shifted over to right back and he ended up actually looking pretty solid, made some solid plays. So Terry Dunfield deciding to, to start Brandon Cervania right back. And yeah, I'm with you. I, I mean, Kobe Franklin had such a great run at that right back position and sure, maybe his form dipped a little bit, but you're coming off a three week break. Brandon Cervania's mm. future is not as a right back. He is, He's a central midfielder. At times, you can shift him out to the right if you need some cover. If you're playing in maybe a diamond, you can play that right center midfield role. He's not a a right back. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, the decision to start him over Kobe, a bit of a head scratch. And I think as soon as Kobe Franklin came on, you could see a bit of a difference down that right-hand oh, side. Yeah. TFC were finding more ways to, to move the ball forward. Um, obviously, Kobe Franklin's pace as well, evident in a couple of situations even defensively covering back tracking back mm-hmm. um yeah let's like take the reins off kobe franklin at this point he is hands down this team's best right back right now so you got to continue to i think just give him give him the keys there right back and let's see what happens here um michael bradley i see keith sweat here just in the chat saying why did he get subbed mm-hmm. off did he get injured no i think it was more so the fact that michael bradley hasn't played in months since I think Months. April, it's been since Michael mm-hmm. Bradley played. So I think it was more so just kind of easing him back into the mix. Uh, Jeff, what'd you make of the skipper's performance? He looked like he hasn't played in a bunch of months. I mean, he was rusty, got beat for pace. Uh, he wasn't doing a whole lot of the Michael Bradley things. I think it's unfair to assign any kind of real grade over his first half performance because the team in on the whole was just flailing limbs and a mess. Um, so, you know, I mean, taking the task because he didn't set the tempo, but I think it was unfair to expect Michael Bradley things on his first game back after such a long injury. And it was clear he wasn't going to do all 90 minutes. So it wasn't a surprise to me that he was one of the subs. Uh, we have a lot of, we have a lot of capable midfielders now. And, and not only that, but, but my man, Victor Vasquez is back in the mix. So, you know, Michael Bradley uh, wasn't going to get that 90 for, for various reasons. And, and I, I'm not surprised. Yeah. That he didn't. Yeah. I thought, I thought initially he came out and sprayed a couple of nice, really nice balls out wide to Bernardeschi. Uh, you know, we, mm-hmm. we know this about Michael Bradley when he has time on the ball, he has the ability to get us head up and pick a really nice pass. So I thought we saw a little bit of that early on. Um, what I didn't actually like, and this isn't necessarily Michael Bradley's fault, but I didn't like, how Terry Dunfield played him in a single pivot. Mm. Cause you have, you have Franco Ibarra there 
who has shown that he is more than a capable six. When he was playing in that single pivot as a six, yep. sometimes as a double pivot, he looked really good there. So instead, though, they shifted to they shifted Ibarra to more of an, an eight alongside Osorio with Michael Bradley as a single pivot. And I, I just don't I think it affected Ibarra negatively. And I think when you have uh, Bryce Duke and was it Opoku, I think is his name. Yeah, it was Opoku. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when you have those two players who kind of play in like a free roam, tennis kind of position for Montreal, eightish position, it's more of an issue. It creates more of an issue for Michael Bradley as the lone holding midfielder in front of Mabika and O'Neill. So when you have you know Obara as a six, I would love to have seen them playing in a double pivot there just to provide more cover in front of that back line and also just give them more avenues to kind of build up and, and deploy possession there so i think I, I, yeah that wasn't my favorite kind of take when you know a lot of people around tfc are sharing the sentiment that michael bradley oh he was supposed to come in and fix everything i mean that hasn't been michael bradley for the last couple of years i don't think anybody is saying that michael bradley is the solution to this team but when he's at his best he is a guy that can get the best out of other players when the team around him is is good as well so yeah, we yep. we need to get drop the fact that Michael Bradley is no longer TFC's engine in the midfield. He's still a guy that can very much control the game and get the best out of his teammates, but he needs to be put in the right situation. And right now, the way the club is, it's it's going to be mm. a tough tough task for Michael Bradley these last nine games. I think Jeff. Yeah, I mean you're you're dancing around the issue, and 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 the chat is doing the same. But like you know, Michael Bradley's decisions are entirely limited because if he's passing to say Berna to let the ball die at his feet, you know, in an attempt to dribble 8,000 people, like, you know, you're talking about a guy who's soccer IQ for, you know, I'm going to get roasted for this, but he does have a pretty amazing soccer IQ. So he mm -hmm. is, you could almost see him hesitating because he could see that it wasn't going to work. You know, that his outlets weren't going to work and the team wasn't set up in a way that there could be a ball for a final ball to, you know, someone in, in, in goal. So he was frustrated and, and him taking time on the ball made him look even slower by consequence. Right. So it was it, you, you saw his frustration qu quite manifest quite early and quite often. Uh, Ibarra, too. Yeah. Ibarra was really frustrated out there. And I think that was because he didn't know what the hell to do. You know, he's used to being more central. He's used to. Uh, you know, like you said, being part of a pivot and here we are throwing him out as a right midfielder kind of, you know, with, with, with almost nothing to do. And, and, you know, he's got Cervania behind him and Berna in front of him. And those are both kind of black holes in the first half. So of course he was getting frustrated. Like, I don't know if you caught, but the camera caught him having a, words with Bernadeschi and, and it didn't look like it ended very well for either of them. So uh, yeah, it was, it was disjointed and messy that first half for sure. Yeah, you kind of touched on it there. Like, not a lot going forward for TSC in that first half. They actually outpossessed Montreal, but and I tweeted this out. It was really negative. Like, all the possession that mm -hmm. TFC had was either in their own half or it was going out to the wings and kind of just resetting possession. They yep. lack that creativity in the midfield that other teams, you see other teams use, and quite frankly, you know, other teams have more of to help yep. break lines and just get more offensively out of this team. But, you know, speaking of that, Prince Owosu making his debut as this number nine, he played about 60-ish minutes. Uh, he was, I, I do want to emphasize, he was, I believe, ill the night before. Mm -hmm. um, so 
that was a factor here when we do evaluate his performance, but just overall your initial reaction to his, his debut. I mean, if he wasn't feeling well, it's not like we don't have a million other strikers, including uh new boy Cassius or Cassius. Like I don't understand putting him out there. Um, you know, this is what I noticed. It took him all of four minutes to develop the same body language as the rest of the squad, which is absolutely piss poor body language. You know, arms held aloft, praying to, to the soccer gods for better service. I found that disturbing. Uh, I found that disturbing in the extreme. His, his, his runs were ill-timed. Uh, he wasn't getting a lot of looks. Um, he made one turn in the box that was superb and really showed off his, his skills. Uh, the word's still out on him. Like you said, he wasn't feeling well. We can, we can ask why he was given the start, you know, but that doesn't, that's not the question. What I see look positive. Um, I thought Sapong coming in, uh, later in the game also looked really positive. So what do you know? Yeah, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach. I, I, I Mm. really liked him. I really liked him Mm. as a player. Um, I think Terry Dunfield was the one who said it after the match, and I kind of agreed with his overall assessment, was that he he was isolated a lot on his own uh, far too many times, so it was really tough to judge him off that performance. But what I really mm-hmm. like is that you see a lot of really good starting points with this guy. First off, he's got the frame, right? He's a mm-hmm. strong guy, and he's got a little bit of that edginess to him. You know, you're saying... You don't like the the frustration that he's showing the I personally, out of my number nine, I, I like that. I think he'd lead a little bit of that nastiness out of a number nine, uh, just because when you're playing, especially when you're playing up there by your by yourself, you need to kind of be a little bit of a pain in the butt towards mm-hmm. other teams' defenses. And you, you saw a little bit of that, you know, sticking a foot in a little bit too late, get not afraid to kind of yeah. jump into tackles. I, I like that. The other thing I liked is that. You know, there were times where the ball got away from him, but he looks like he's a guy that uh, that you can play off, that what their team can yep. play off. I would have loved to have seen Insigne, Bernadeschi, and Owosu all up top at once because it looked to me that Owosu is the most sure striker that we have, that Toronto FC have on the ball. And mm. his ability to kind of lay it off here and there, I think we're going to start to see more than that once he kind of gets into play. And the, other, the third thing I liked about his starting points here is... Man, this guy's quick. He's faster yeah, he's, than I, he's than rapid. I thought than mm-hmm. I thought he was. So you combine the speed with his frame, and I think his his actual like touches. I I, I did like what I saw. Um, yeah, I, I want to mm-hmm. see. I want to see more out of him. I think, without a doubt, right now he is the best option Toronto obviously have at number nine, and might be the best option that this team could have in a while but let's see how the let's see how it plays out let's see how the rest of this year plays out uh i want to i want like you i want to see more out of him but there Mm -hmm. were some good top uh good starting points out of him yeah i mean his first touch is great his second touch is garbage which is a pretty good problem to have right i'd rather have (laughs) your first touch be good than and worry about your second touch right so so yeah like these are all things that that reps will fix and luckily he's going to get at least nine reps hopefully you know because uh he'll probably start the the balance of tfc's remaining games yeah i'm, I'm gonna call it i think he's he's gonna be a striker that toronto fc fans end up liking i, I that's mm-hmm. my prediction i know there's not much maybe to go off just based off last night but there were a few moments if you kind of like break his game down that 
know, we've seen, we saw them that we haven't really seen out of TFC strikers in, in a very long time. So yeah, let's, let's yeah. see how that one plays out. Um, okay. Let's, let's move on and talk about, you know, kind of the moment the match changed, obviously TFC sure. going behind two two nil in the first half. Um, two, in my opinion, really preventable goals. The 100%. First, the first goal they let, I oh my think God. it was a, a four. No, it was, I, I'm blanking on the name, but anyway, they let one of Montreal strikers cut inside far too easily and get his mm-hmm. shot off. It was a free And then kick. died and then watched it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a free kick at the top of Montreal's box. It was just one ball over the top. And then they kind of got exposed from that point on. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, ball, Romero makes a save, ball hits the post, uh, bounces back, and Matthew Schwanier beats everybody, every TFC player, to the ball and into the, the empty net. So preventable goal. Second goal was even worse. It's just Thomas Romero kind of scuffing a goal kick, playing it right to Bryce Duke, who <laughs> sets Montreal in and, again, it was uh it was they made most no mistake yeah Tersberger saying Vincent was the guy who looked really yeah, positive by yeah. the way for Montreal looks like a really really sure good did. player they have a couple of those guys <laughs> that that look like really good players but game changes second half right you've kind of alluded to this uh, from the chats that we've had since that Terry Dunfield made some good decisions at halftime and you know motivated their team in a really good way at halftime because we saw Kobe Franklin check into the game. And we saw Alonzo Coelho sec- check into the game. The first substitution, Franklin coming in for Ibarra, Coelho coming in for Michael Bradley. Both guys, I think, showed really well uh, throughout the course of the mm-hmm. match. And they looked like guys that actually came on and, and made a difference. But the biggest difference maker, I think we can all agree here, was Lorenzo Insigne coming off the bench. 100%. I'm, wow. I'm correct in saying the game completely changed when he came on the field, right? Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts? Uh, I was concerned why he didn't start because he never does and he's making millions of dollars to not play for us. But, uh, oh my God, did he did he change the game? And I'd be remiss if I didn't also talk about my man VV getting garbage minutes that weren't garbage minutes because he looked phenomenal out there in, in, his, in, his, in his brief cameo. Um, yeah, he's a baller. What can you say? He, you know... It felt like Lorenzo spent his time on the bench looking at the game states in a way that only an elite player can. And then he came on and he had a laundry list of things he wanted to try and all of his ideas were good ones. Um, Everything that he did looked like he had kind of studied how Montreal were were playing and had figured out what pockets he was going to operate in. And it it was really nice to see. Um, he looked engaged. He looked switched mm-hmm. on, uh, despite the the shenanigans at the end of the game where he didn't look so good. But uh, that was uh, it. Was nice to see. You know, he's despite everything that I say about our DPS. Uh, you know, let's remember the baseline is is that they are skilled players. They're just you know maybe maybe not showing that well in MLS. But uh, it was not. It was awful nice to see. Yeah, no, definitely. Like he absolute difference maker the second he came on. You can just see, the, I mean, it's not really a surprise to see the difference between a, a player like Lorenzo Insigne, a bona fide star left winger versus, you know, a kid in Jaquil Marcia who's, you know, still 19 years old, but 
not the same player going forward as as a guy like Lorenzo Insigne. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of makes you wonder over the stretch, maybe what could have been had Insigne and Bernadeschi been able to just stay healthy and stay in the lineup or, you know, just stay available, I guess, for this Toronto FC team uh, over this stretch with, with Terry Dunfield at the helm because I was looking back at it. Even though they played together last night, they still haven't been on the field for 90 minutes during this Terry Dunfield era, the last seven mm-hmm. games, I believe it is, um, which to me was a bit surprising, maybe just because of the break. It's been so long, but seeing them kind of on the field together, really you, you see them lift the the tempo and lift the players around them. So I, I do, mm-hmm. you know, back in my head, I do wonder what this stretch would have looked like had both of these guys been available from the get-go. And the reason being, we, we saw the first goal. You know, Federico Bernadeschi ending that ugh, eternal goalish drought for Toronto FC. The, the, the streak actually ended at 685 minutes, the club's first goal since June 24th. Oh, my God. What a First of all, what a beauty of a goal. Um, oh, my God. Berna, Berna, uh, uh, Berna uh, what did I call him? Uh, Berna... Burn a banger. That's what it was. Yeah, Both that was that was a bonafide burn a banger, burn a banger yeah, for yeah. sure. It was it was in a way kind of fitting that he was the guy to kind of break this goalish streak here for mm-hmm. TFC. Um, let's talk a little bit about Bernadeschi though, because you, Jeff, mm-hmm. obviously have been very vocal about mm-hmm. Bernadeschi and wanting him out of Toronto FC, and there is some absolute justification behind that. But just isolating sort of his performance yesterday, what did you what did you make of it? And maybe more importantly, the goals mm. aside, what did you make of his his effort and his attitude? I guess on the night, I still have some concerns. Uh, one, I can't. I hate that they only look for each other. Uh, you know, Berna could have put a, 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 a cross into the mixer, but he hit it really wide to try and get at Lorenzo. Now, we've seen them score goals that way before. Um, and again, small sample size. We're in small sample size hell because these guys almost never play together. And is it fair to expect them not to look for each other when they really haven't developed a chemistry beyond that? And the, their first habit is going to be to look for each other. I don't know. I'm, I, you know, they were great goals. Uh, I hated his performance in the first half. I thought he was disinterested. It was the same old, same old. Uh, I loved his performance in the second half. I thought he was in the right place at the right time. And you could obviously see uh, the chemistry uh, with with the kind of players that TFC needs to be feeling, fielding the creative attacking midfielders. You know, uh, Victor Vasquez uh, instrumental in, in, in getting that, that second goal going. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, as uh, far be it for me to to give of the man his flowers, but he deserves them for for those two those two beautiful beautiful galazos that he scored over the over the game. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I thought I agree. First half, he struggled. He, like you said, mm-hmm. gave the ball away a lot. Some of it may not have been necessarily his fault alone because you're playing on that right back side with with surveying. You're playing next to Ibarra there as well. You have a new striker in front of you and print Owosu. You know, there's a lot of times they were kind of just off the same page. There was there were times where he did try to do too much and instead of 100%. No, I just I just made I just pointed out the fact that they were being a bit too negative, but there were times where Bernardeski could have reset the ball and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. try something different. But 
second half he comes out and again right away you you see a bit of a difference there's a bit of a spark yeah. under him um and yeah more than anything for me it was his effort and his attitude that was just all extremely positive on the night and i think over this what two three months stretch here um we we do especially us on the show like we we do forget just how much of a fan favorite what bernardeski was at the start of the mm-hmm. season and the reason being is because performances like this where he came in and at times he was one of the only players that were absolutely working their tail off both on and off the ball he was had a very positive attitude you know with his teammates he at, at times you know he was interacting with the fans there's one play on the sideline when the it was in between plays and he actually asked a fan for their water bottle and dumped it all over his head. And on it made, the, <laughs> I don't know if anybody actually mm-hmm. saw that, but it made the, it made the fans night. Um, it just, he has that ability to have to form kind of special relationships with the fan base. But in order to do that, you got to put in, you got to put in shifts like this. And Bernardeski mm-hmm. absolutely did that. The one thing he's been lacking over this stretch, it's been about 18 games. I think since he scored a goal was his ability to strike the ball right when he came in when he first started with tfc that was the one thing that everybody was mesmerized by his ability to strike the ball and over the stretch there were other times where he had the 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 chance or the opportunity to hit strikes like those but ended up scuffing it but last night he connected on two absolute beauties one of course with his left foot the other one with his right foot and those are those are strikes that only players like federico bernardeschi can hit 100%. so i gotta give him you know as much as we do like harp on harp on him on the show we gotta give him absolute credit for his performance last night and you now last thing I, i'll say is i do wonder jeff how much of this has to do mm-hmm. with this mentality the effort that we saw last night how much of it had to do with kind of the saga that's unplayed over played out over these last month and a half and you know I've, we've talked about it on the show what i can tell people is federico bernardeschi want wanted i'm sure he still wants a move back to italy mm-hmm. but yep. unsurprisingly their interest hasn't been there for federico bernardeschi at least at the the price tag at that he was looking for um you know that move to bologna which is widely reported they wanted tfc to eat a bunch of bernardeschi's salary there were other moves that bernardeschi could have made away from mm-hmm. toronto but he for whatever reason decided to turn those moves down or same situation the teams wanted tfc to eat kind of a lot of the salary Too so much, yeah i'll say yeah. this now my understanding is that bernadeschi wants either a move back to italy which does not look like it's going to happen unless something changes over this next couple of days weeks or he's going to stay in toronto with tfc those are kind of the hmm. two places that he has it on his mind right now so let's let's again let, let's see how exactly this yeah. plays out but like I, I mean said, let's yeah who cares if, if if he's putting himself in the shop window by doing moments of individual brilliance for tfc on his way out it's way better than vaping in a plane so i'll take it right like if 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 it's not entirely uh uh, uh on the level if he's got a hidden agenda which uh, because of course he probably does who cares um this is a better this is a better Fed than than we've than we've had for a while. So, 
if that's how he gets his, uh, if that's how he gets his powers, then, then so be it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not in any mood to argue for the contrary at this point. And quite frankly, I don't, if he was vaping on planes, if he was vaping at the train center, if he was Mm. vaping anywhere, no one would care if he's putting in shifts like this, to be honest with you. No, I mean, Zlatan, Zlatan called the guy the wrong name and no one corrected him, right? Like, far be it for me to put them in the same vein, but yeah. Yeah, winning is the ultimate uh, 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 equalizer, and and performances are the ultimate uh, forgiveness. So, so absolutely, exactly, absolutely, I feel you one hundred percent. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So with Bernardeschi, with Insigne flowing, you had Alonzo Coelho connecting at the midfield. He formed a Love nice him. relationship with Brandon Cervinia, as you mentioned. CJ Sapong came in as well. He gave a little bit of something, wants some balls in the air at striker. So mm-hmm. TFC had a lot of momentum and. That was the loudest I've heard Bimo Field in in a very long time. You can even hear it coming through the Apple TV broadcast that you know I rewatched this morning. The commentators mm-hmm. were talking about just how loud and how electric Bimo Field was, especially after that mm-hmm. first goal went in. So TFC had all the momentum. Lorenzo Insigne had a chance at the penalty spot. Obviously, he shot them all over the net. And you kind mm-hmm. of feel that, you know, maybe there's a way TFC can kind of salvage something out of this game here. But in just but, one play, M.A. Mabika gets turned by Opoku, goes the other way, and ends up being Raul Petretta taking down Lassie Lapalainen in the box, gets sent off for the red card, and BMO Field just deflates. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people are pointing to Petretta for this moment, and I get it. You know, it was a play that Raul Petretta probably shouldn't have made. But man, Ami Mabika, what's happened to this guy? He looked like a completely mm. different player under Bob Bradley. But since Terry Dunfield com- has come in, he's been in and out of the lineup. So maybe he's lacked a bit of that consistency. But there are times where it's just his effort level doesn't look like it's quite where. It was nope. at a certain point. He looks less engaged. And I even I even thought like on the ball, there were some really careless giveaways by a guy who really careless giveaways. His first couple his first couple weeks, months here at TFC, he showed like a mm-hmm. he looked like a guy who was really good and really confident on the ball. What what's yep. happened with him? I mean Mabika Honestly Honestly without getting into too big of a conspiracy theory, this is my problem with US college soccer because they play it like hockey. So you have endless subs. You don't have to play a full 90 minutes, right? And the the, the extent of his minutes have been in U.S. college soccer, right? One, there's a reason why Inter Miami were willing to let him go. Uh, and as much as we loved him at first blush, there's a reason. Two, I feel a lot of his bad habits come from that not 90-minute thing. Um and I'm not sure why it hasn't been sort of coached out of him yet. Um, but this is a young kid, and and that he's he's in and out of games in in a in a way that's obvious to anybody that pays attention, and that has to stop. Um, I don't think it's a skill issue. Um, you know, I don't necessarily like he got turned around fine. But, you know, he left Petretta, Petretta and Romeo on an island. 
that happens when you're a marauding center back, right? He's, he's, you know, I think he's the heir apparent to the, to the Chris Mavinga school of jump kicks on, on TFC's back line. So you're going to expect some boneheaded brain farts sometimes from the aggressive center back in your, in your choice pairing. That's just the, at least that my margins are a bit lower for boneheaded insanity from the aggressive center back in the two man back line. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's naivete. It's, I think it's a really bad habit. And, you know, as much as I'd like to tie it to his university education, I'm just going to simplify. It. It's a bad habit. And he needs to stop, right? He, he, he turns off. He, he's caught ball watching often. And he, there's a serious lack of effort uh, that you don't want to see in your starting center back at all, ever. Um, you always commit to the play, whether you've been found out or turned around or whatever, you don't give up on a play ever. Um, you know, for as for Petretta, what was he doing? What was he thinking? I mean, trust your goalkeeper. What the hell was he doing? You, uh, you know, you you have to you have to have some trust that your goalkeeper is gonna either save it or force a low chance shot. You, you that that was insanity. Like it it, it, it you know, it wasn't even a pick me moment or like it, you know what it felt like. It felt like the second baseman was tracking back into outfield to catch a fly ball, not listening to the outfielder call for it. And then naturally just walks into the guy and, and the ball drops, right? Like he had no business being there. Like your keeper is on it. You know, I just, I didn't get it. It was such a, such a lame boneheaded move by, by him. I don't think he was trying to commit the foul. I think he was trying to mm. give Lapalinen a little bit of a nudge on the back just to throw him off balance as he goes to kick the ball. We've seen that's pretty common play in football, but he got him at the wrong time and Lapalinen mm. just uh goes over, rightfully so. Um but yeah. I don't think his intent was to necessarily just commit the foul and give them the penalty because they think it's a he thinks it's a better play for TFC and a higher percentage. But I, I mean, I hope I to... should, I should hope not. <laughs> yeah. I think he was just trying to yeah. make it more difficult for, for Lapaline and to finish. So yeah, I, I get it. It's not a play you, you hindsight you're going to make, but mm-hmm. finding yourself in that position, never an easy one to find yourself in. And the only reason he did is because of the play Mabika did. So in my opinion, I think more people should be focusing more on that. Um, Ralph Petretta, Listen, we know it. Like he's the highest paid left back in Major League Soccer right now. Hasn't lived up to that price tag. I still think he's he's a good left back, and I still think he is a starting caliber left back. But I do think at this point you have to say that he's overpaid. Um, I get it. Like he doesn't. He hasn't shown too much going forward right now for TFC. Zero. But I, I think he's absolute a, zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think he's a smart player, though. Like, he reads the game well, and you can tell just the quality of him versus some of the other players that they have on the pitch. Like, he's still a, a quality player on the ball. Um, but I definitely, I, I think he's a couple hundred K overpriced at this point. And mm-hmm. I I, mm-hmm. I do sympathize with him because he's had a, an up and down season based on availability and injuries and trying to stay healthy in the lineup. He's had an up and down season based on who he's playing with down that left wing. He hasn't been able to form that consistent relationship with Lorenzo Insigne. So I do sympathize him with him a little bit. I think there's a lot more that he can give at left back, but right now I think it's quite clear that he isn't worth his price tag. Um, Not even close. I do wonder... 
I do wonder though if he's a guy that TFC do want to keep around because he's got he's got a good head on his shoulders too, from my understanding with everything. It seems like he he's a guy that adds value to this team uh, in a lot of different ways besides just what we're seeing. Still though, um, still though, I think you need to get more from him in order to justify kind of paying him <laughs> that amount for sure. Uh, yeah. Last yeah. thing. Just want to touch on quickly. You've you've mentioned it. My is returning. Um, formed a really immediate relationship in the midfield with Alonzo Coelho and Jonathan Osorio. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, people people love Vasquez's game last night. I was uh, here and there. Um, there was one mm-hmm. really bad giveaway that he had actually led to an, an Opoku uh, breakaway. Yep, yep, I remember. He might have had maybe 15 20 touches on the ball in the last 10 minutes that he came on love seeing victor vasquez on the pitch don't get me wrong but i mm-hmm. he needs minutes like it's been so long since he needs played. minutes i think he just needs minutes yeah. to get under his belt uh but i did like what i saw when he did connect at times with alonzo cuello and jonathan osario in that mm-hmm. midfield and as you mentioned he did play a role in bernadeski's uh final goal there so glad to have him back yeah. uh we'll see exactly what role he plays here down the stretch for TFC because, and I've said this and I'm not shying away from it. I still think he could be a valuable piece to a roster as a veteran depth piece, if he can stay healthy and if he can stay available. So these next nine matches or so, I think will be a bit of an audition for him almost heading into the new season. And like I was alluding to with Petretta, this guy's, I mean, we all know this. He's an unbelievable character oh. to add to this team off the pitch mm-hmm. he's taken alonzo coelho under his wing those two guys have actually become really good friends off the field Thank god and i love it you he's, love to see he's it. serving right now as as a real mentor right now for alonzo coelho and that's a guy mm-hmm. who we just talked about is kind of flourishing on his own right now in the midfield so having victor vasquez there as that connection with him for both on the field and off the field that spanish connection like that is that is money and so important. So it's so, again, so, so important. There's so, 30 yeah, roster yeah. spots on, on an MLS side. I think you can find a way to squeeze Victor Vasquez into one of those roster spots at, again, a really, really low cost on that salary budget. We'll, we'll see how the rest of the season plays out though. Um, mm-hmm. Final, final thing on this game, just quickly touch on it. Thomas Romero, not, not his best outing. Uh, nope. One of the things that that's glaringly obvious about Thomas Romero is he is mm-hmm. a bit of a he's a shorter goalie than he is. Yeah, maybe he's not goalies mm-hmm. that we've become used to here. Obviously, his distribution last night was not great. Uh, shot stopping last night wasn't the best, although some of the chances were tougher chances. Mm-hmm. He had such a positive start against St. Louis City, and I think. This is just something we got to give time to. We can't really judge him off just the one performance, but I think we can all agree it wasn't his best performance, uh, and he's got no, more in the no. tank there. I agree. I agree. It really wasn't. But uh, you know, short shorter goalkeepers are like spider monkeys, and and you know when they're on, they're so much fun to watch. So let's let's give him let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He can't be any worse than uh, Renjink Sig was. So uh, uh, let's just let's just roll with Romero for a while. Yeah, that's that is that is true. All right, 
let's mm-hmm. uh let's move on here so as i mentioned off the top of the show you know one of the things i've mm-hmm. i've been kind of wondering and you know at times wondering out loud is whether or not jeff big picture what is there left to salvage for toronto fc over these these last mm-hmm. nine games and the reason being is i've seen this this narrative kind of going around and i've seen it at a couple different places and obviously someone I, I interacted with on Twitter, I forget the account, but one of the TFC accounts mm-hmm. I interacted with on Twitter last night was suggesting that we've been too soft on Terry Dunfield and that Toronto FC should fire Terry Dunfield. What do you think about that? I just, I'm curious about your thoughts about whether or not okay. you think so- should Dunfield here. There was a there was a tweet that I included in my WTR article, and I actually uh, retweeted because I, I really wanted the discussion. And it was okay. We had three weeks of downtime to rest and reset, and then we came out that flat. Is it time to start pointing fingers at Terry Dunfield? And I think within the scope of that question, it's a fair question. Like, what were they doing over the three weeks? Were they just out eating chicken wings, talking about their feelings? Because maybe, maybe there's, there's something there. But, you know, that they almost looked worse than before the three-week break coming out there. And it was bracing. Um, I think the second half made a lot of forgiveness for that. But I still, I can't, I can't do it because this, you know, you want to talk about poison chalices. And you want to talk about a, a no-win situation. You've got Dunfield in his hoodie in the Webster soccer, soccer dictionary, you know, just with a with a with a with a with a frown on his face, and that's the whole entry of poison chalice, uh, no-win situation. I think um, we don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. We don't know what kind of mess he's dealing with, what kind of egos he's dealing with. We don't know how much power he has over the goings on or whether it's coaching by committee at this point, you know, so playing the finger on, on Terry and saying it's all Terry's fault when it's so clear that he's a mouthpiece for the organization. He's put, he's been put in this very unenviable position, you know, as a stopgap that even he wasn't prepared to, he was ready for the four games and now it's way longer than that, you know? So I don't think it's fair, but I, I did think it was an interesting wrinkle to the dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, what like, you know yeah I'll, I'll let you i'll let you reset yeah so and maybe this is gonna be come across as a bit harsh so if mm. anyone gets offended by this i i apologize but i i think it's such a stupid take i think it's mm-hmm. so silly for anyone to suggest firing terry dunfield at this point is going to change anything we're not making Toronto the playoffs season we're not we're not getting in we're not winning MLS Cup. Like it's it's yeah. Well yeah. Well that and also if you were to say Terry Dunfield was mm. the wrong guy to a point at the time of the interim manager, I would be like, okay, you know what? How do you who, argue who, that? Yeah, how do yeah. you how do you disagree with that Terry Dunfield would be the wrong guy to hire based on the results that we've seen from Toronto FC? Right, they've scored two goals over his seven-game span here. They haven't won a match. There's nothing mm-hmm. to justify right now from the outside looking in that Terry Dunfield is the guy for this team moving forward. But that being said, 
we knew it at the time. We've talked about it. We've talked about this throughout his tenure here. Terry Dunfield mm-hmm. is a guy that's kind of just falling on the sword right now. He's going through 100%. a roster change. With a smile he's on got, his face. Yeah, and he's got people that have been shipped out from this side. He's had to deal with the drama that's gone around with Insigne and Bernadeschi. He's had to deal with the fact he hasn't had those players available. It's not like the interim manager right now is the most appealing job. So for people to suggest firing Terry Dunfield at this mm-hmm. point with nine games remaining in the season is actually a plot, a good course of action to me is so silly because it means you're missing the bigger picture in Toronto FC. Mm-hmm. Unless TFC are hiring their next permanent manager at this point in time, there's no point in hiring another interim manager unless you're just looking for marginal improvements for this Toronto FC, the rest, Toronto FC team the rest of the season. And I got to break mm-hmm. it to you. I hate to break it to you for anyone who hasn't realized it yet. This season, it's a write-off. It doesn't matter. Half it's of the guys that are on this team right now, half of the guys that are on this mm-hmm. team right Aren't now are coming not going to be here. And they're going to play mm-hmm. in a completely new system when their new manager arrives. So for anyone 100%. right now that... And we and Mike, we're in a salary yeah. cap league. We're already paying... Forget about MLSE paying out the... the uh, the t- who was the name of the hockey coach Babcock? Forget about MLSE having to foot Babcock's uh, uh, remaining contract. They've also we're still paying Bob Bradley and his staff. You know why the hell would we be spending money on Terry Dunfield in all but name? Right? This is there's there's no saving this season. The idea that the incoming coach is going to see what he has is not worth the cost outlay. You know. Yeah, the, the, it's just and, not. It's just not. And I get and then, the, and then and here, I get the mm. frustration, Jeff. I get the frustration. I get the frustration from, too. Lot I get fans. the frustration it's, too. The results haven't been there right now with with Terry, mm-hmm. so I get it. And I get your have coming off a long break, and you're facing a rival at home, and they come out flat. So I get, I get the frustration. It's just if you think big picture here, and I think we've learned mm-hmm. this is that. The coach is not the biggest issue at this football club right now. There are way nope. bigger issues. So, you know, the, I, the first thing fans do when things aren't going right, fire this guy, fire this guy, fire this guy. And mm-hmm. most of the times it's usually the coach. So I get the frustration. I just think you got to take a step back and you have to look at the bigger picture here when you talk you about have to. You have solutions to. here for this TFC team moving forward. But speaking of solutions, Jeff, just shifting gears quickly. Hold on, so hold maybe on. A bit of a, One second, because... I don't mm-hmm. want to drag uh, uh, Bartage, but I hate this comment. What's really scary is that somehow Dunfield has been coaching our youth teams. The old boy club has to stop. We need wholesale change to structure this management team. Terry Dunfield may not be a good first team coach, but everything that we don't like about him on the first team makes him a perfect academy coach for young players. His his light touch, his his unwillingness to to speak out of turn, his his. All his his sort of human humility, kumbaya. Let's all have orange slices. That's maybe not the best approach in ultra competitive first team major league soccer, regardless of whether or not we have promotion and relegation. But those are all strengths for an academy coach, right? You're talking about the difference between a university professor and the guy running your daycare. And I don't want to I don't want to belittle Terry Dunfield to that level by comparing him to to a daycare coach. But his skill set and his experience is doing that. So, you know, 
you're going to rest on your He was also really successful. He was also a really successful U17 coach, which is why he got promoted. The record speaks exactly. for itself. Exactly. Exactly. His record speaks coach. for so itself. Anyone... Agreed. Agreed. It, we th- this kid glove approach with the first team. You know, I I would hazard to say that if he had been hired for this job and not been handed a poison chalice, he would probably come out of the gate a bit more screaming hot than he is right now. But he's he's leaning on what works, like the team is leaning on what works. Uh, so you can't fault him for 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 going for for you know for for his what what's worked before. Uh, anyway, that's as, that's as much as I'll say on that. And sorry, I didn't want to drag any of our listeners, and and I'm not really. Uh, dragging you I just that perspective makes me kind of mad because first team is very different than academy teams yeah yeah obviously different roles and I think again a lot of a lot of the frustration also stems from the fact that Bill Manning alluded to the fact that Terry Dunfield would only be the head coach for about four matches and they won Mm -hmm. their head coach in before League's Cup but a lot has gone on behind the scenes which is why this process is maybe taken a bit longer than the club hope that fans hope that, you know, yeah. everybody overall has, has hoped for this Toronto FC team. So, you know, on that note, let's jump ahead here to yeah. this week's burning question presented by next. question presented by nextdoor nextdoor is the official community app of toronto fc it's used by one in five households in the gta the nextdoor app is an awesome way to get things done in your neighborhood we're posting clips contest details and other goodies on the toronto fc fan group so make sure you check it out to join the group download the app now in the app store or get it at nextdoor.ca so this was a hell of a cold read Mm. (laughs) <laughs> so this this week's question that we threw out there, um, I'm just going to say it's perfect timing. Mm-hmm. We perfect asked timing. fans how they would feel if Toronto FC hired Canadian men's national team head coach John Herdman as the club's next manager. And the reason we say perfect timing, which of course, unless you've been living under a rock, you would have heard by now, but Joshua Cloak reporting that John Herdman was a candidate for the Toronto FC coach front position. He's now and the front today, runner. Yeah, and then today with Tom Bogert reporting. Tom Bogert, by the way, was on our show two weeks ago, so make sure you guys check that out if you haven't. But Such a Josh Cloak Sorry to miss reporting. It. Yeah, Josh Cloak reporting with Tom Bogert that John Herdman is now the front runner in Toronto FC's coaching search to become the next, I guess, club's head coach. So Adam Gillick on the Toronto FC fans next door group here is saying it's he has a mixed opinion. On one hand, he's led the Canadian men's national team to the highest point they've ever been in, but he's also very unproven mm-hmm. in the club game. I'd be worried his skill set wouldn't be able to transfer over easily. And I think that's kind of the sentiment that we've been seeing a lot here as mm-hmm. we go to Twitter and Luca Cardi is saying, we don't need another motivator. We need a tactically proficient manager. I am once again asking to bring back <laughs> Javier Perez. I've seen oh that a lot. Uh, Greg mm. Finley saying, could work if John Herman has significant input on the roster. If he doesn't, then probably not the right choice. Whoever coaches this team mm. next year is going to need patience to rebuild the team. And I think Greg is actually spot on with his sentiment there because in the athletic today in that article one of the things an interesting tidbit was that 
Bill Manning wants his next head coach to be able to overturn mm. the roster. That is one of the reports that's out there. Um, so John Herman, I've, hypothetically, if he's the guy that ends up being appointed here for Toronto FC, it sounds like he's going to have a big input here to help mm. overturn and, and really kind of make up this roster here. Um, our friend Corey Brady, friend of the show here, saying mm-hmm. Herman is a better national team manager. He's been great for Canada with both national teams. I think that's an important point. He's never managed mm-hmm. at the club level, though. TFC Which needs a coach the, who... Kind of the ultimate point, yeah. Yeah, TFC needs a coach who is familiar with MLS and the demands of the league, is experienced coaching players at various levels, is connected to the international soccer scene, and is familiar with the Canadian soccer landscape and tapping into the domestic player pool. And he says, goes mm-hmm. on to say, Pamadu Ka fits this description perfectly. Obviously, the former Pacific FC head coach, and he also spent some time with uh, the USL side. Uh, I think Dallas's USL no, team, MLX Nest, what? Nest Pro, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry, and the Next Pro team. Yeah. So what I can tell people is actually Pamadu Ka was interviewed for the Toronto FC coaching position. So nice. I, you know, we've we've seen the the Bobby Smirniotis reports. I'm not sure if this is out there publicly yet, but Pamaduka was another name that Toronto FC did inquire Amazing. about and is in the running to become the next TFC head coach. Um, Nicholas Richard, Richard, he's saying it would it would really matter who his assistant coach is, speaking about John Herman. I like John mm-hmm. Herman for his motivational skills, but his tactical and technical has been a little wanting. And then lastly, it's going to be Curtis. Neville. It's going to be Gary Neville and it's going to suck. So <laughs> Phil no, Neville. No, no. Oh yeah. Right. Right. Sorry. <laughs> um, and then Turt McGirt's mm-hmm. is saying it makes him nervous that he's never managed a club, but I think if we have enough patience in brackets, yeah, right. He may work out. That seems to be the sentiment. Mm-hmm. So Jeff, let me throw it to you. Mm-hmm. John Herman. Do you, trust him to be able to coach no. a club like Toronto FC and no. why not because he has no club experience i we can't keep doing this we can't keep these pr shiny shiny hires unproven pa if we've interviewed pa um he's a way better choice he's managed in in the club game before um and he deserves a step up to mls i'd much rather take a chance on pa mudaka than john herdman um, forget about what it does to the Canadian men's national team uh, heading into World Cup 2026, because so much bad is going to happen in the next little while that, you know, that it really doesn't matter who, who's the gaffer behind the helm. Um, I, you know, it's just I, I can't. He got found out for his technical deficiencies in a three games at the World Cup. Now, obviously, different environment, but. Though, you know, I just, I don't, haven't we suffered enough, man? Like, wasn't wasn't the false dawn of Bob Bradley enough of a soul-crushing exercise? And now we're going to do it with, with Herdman, too. I want a safer bet, and I don't, I I have no doubt that he'll be motivated to, to learn from his deficiencies. And one of my favorite things about John Herdman is he rarely makes the same mistake twice. But God damn it, not on our watch, not on my watch. You know, like, can he find another place to make his mistakes than TFC at maybe its lowest point in franchise history? Like, I just, I, I, I want as close to a sure thing as possible, and this ain't it. Um, and yeah, I know, I think, 
Bob Bradley was as close to sure thing as possible, and look at how that worked out. So I, I, I don't know. You're right. I don't know, but I just I don't like it on knee jerk. I don't like it. I really don't like yeah. it. I don't know, man. I don't know because I, I think when I've seen the response to John Herman, it's it's been fairly negative. Um, mm. which honestly I find a little bit surprising. Now, I understand why there's question marks about Herman tactically, but I also think it's become a narrative that is a little bit overblown. Um, no, <laughs> really? <laughs> he's, of course not. Oh, it, was, it wasn't that long <laughs> ago where he was the guy to shift Canada into that back three and get start mm-hmm. to get the best out of Alistair Johnston and start to get the best out of Kamal Miller and really unlock guys like Alfonso Davies and Tejan Buchanan going forward. You know, there are times where we wondered what Davies' best position was going to be, and, and ultimately he's really settled mm-hmm. into this kind of wing-back role with with Canada or even, you know, a more advanced role now with Sam Adekube, you know, being able mm-hmm. to play as that left-back as well. Like, Herman, I'm not saying he's a tackle genius, and I do think there are question marks about him tactically, but for people to say that he just doesn't tactically have it, I think again, it's just it's a little bit overblown and a little bit harsh. I still think I there's agree. a lot that goes in behind the scenes I agree. Um, in terms of his tactics. But I I think even today, player the athletic report that players have question marks about Herman tactically. So maybe there is you know something more there that I'm not seeing. The other thing though mm-hmm. is as, as much as people might not want to realize it or don't realize it or may not want to admit it. TFC is now a massive project again, where they're starting from ground zero. I'm the, so glad that you said it. Yeah. As, as Bill Manning said, this, this new manager is going to have to kind of go through an overhaul and, and Herman is a culture setter. Like there is, there's a lot that he's been dealing with, with Canada soccer, like a lot that he's been oh, dealing I know. with beyond just being yeah. the head coach of the Canadian men's national team. He's going door to door, knocking door to door to try to get sponsorship money. He's dealing with everything yeah. else that we've read and is going on behind the scenes. And yeah, sure, he's an, an unbelievable motivator. And in a way, this team desperately needs, needs that motivation. Right now. Yeah, you're making a very well, good need, argument. You're making they a need very, a culture very, setter. very good argument. Mm-hmm. And and a guy that can really, really set start a new era for Toronto FC and John Herman fits that bill in so many different ways. Um, another candidate that was out there, uh, and it's been talked about a little bit, Mark Warburton. Um, mm-hmm. He was, of course, most recently a first-team coach at West Ham, but he's also had experience coaching or managing you know, Rangers. He's had experience also with, uh, Brentford, he's had experience with Nottingham Forest, he's had experience with QPR, mm-hmm. so an experienced manager overseas, coached some really big clubs, and TFC did have serious discussions with Mark Warburton, and I can even go on and add that TFC got to the point where I believe they wanted to make Mark Warburton an offer to become the next mm-hmm. head coach of Toronto FC, but and I think it's been reported that the board shut down Warburton, but I believe actually hmm. Warburton turned down Toronto FC. That is my understanding of it. Um, mm-hmm. Regardless, 
I think the Athletics say still listed him as a candidate and not to kind of refute their reporting because they probably are more right than I am. But just what I've heard is sure. that sh- that ship has sailed um, mm. when it comes to Mark Warburton. So not a guy that I think TFC kind of have in their sights anymore, but was a guy that would have been a really interesting hire for, for TFC. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so as as we talk about it here, you know, the coaching search, it, the question has now become whether or not TFC make their hire during these last nine games or if they wait until the end of the season to make their hire. Again, another tidbit in that article by Josh Cloak and Tom Bogert is that the board is kind of debating whether or not they should make the hire now or whether or not they should make it at the end of the season. So let's just play just a game here, Jeff. Not really a game, mm-hmm. just let me throw the question out to you. Let's say hypothetically TFC had made their decision. They've agreed to terms with their new manager. Hypothetically, it's John Herdman. Mm-hmm. Would you bring John Herman in now, start him tomorrow, let's say, or would you wait until the end of the season, give him that fresh slate, that time to dissect the roster, that time to get to know everybody, and get to start fresh, I guess, a new season here with Toronto FC? Hmm. I don't know. I think it's it's up to would I mean if you're if you're if the ink is dried on your paycheck and you work as the gaffer for TFC, wouldn't you want to get started as early as possible? I can't think of a single manager that I would want working at the club that wouldn't want to be there in the trenches. Public opinion be damned. You know, I think I think most gaffers don't really care about the the fickle finger of public opinion uh or at least not as much as 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 we fans think they do so yeah maybe herdman has to wear a couple more l's and get the ire of people that are like well he didn't fix everything so you know like throw him throw him you know douseman gasoline um to me it's a no-brainer if he's hot if, if if it's herdman or pamu Duga, please or or any of these other people um you they they i think they would want to come in uh, you know, we're not Man U. Like, we don't have, uh, uh, what's his face, uh, before Ter Hag, uh, uh, the Red Bull guy that was, like, a consulting manager. Ralph for, Rangnick. Like, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we're not we're not that club. So, so I, I just think, you know, if it is Herdman in this thought exercise, I can't see him sitting on the sidelines, shaking hands, kissing babies, getting to know Rita at, at ticket sales, right? Like, I, I think <laughs> he'd want to be out there. And, and, and forget, you know, not, like, let the record stand, right? So... Um. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, so wait, I just what can't was, see what's your answer? <laughs> uh, that they would want to be out there as gaffer, not so in the sidelines. Is that what you would want? Yeah. You would want if, if it you was were me, hypothetically in charge of TFC. Yeah, you'd want them out tomorrow. One hundred percent. The second the second the ink dries on my contract, I start making decisions because why get comfortable doing what you're not doing? Why get comfortable going in? nine to five sitting around playing candy crush because you've got nothing to do. Like I would want to instill my, my perspective. I would want to get my flag and footprint planted as early as possible. And the only way to do that is by, is by assuming the responsibility, right? There is no Mm -hmm. halvesies, right? Like you, you, if my contract is signed, I don't want to be half in the door. I want to be fully in the door as soon as that ink is dried. So. Yeah, so I agree with you. I, th- I think for TR Toronto FC, if in a perfect world you get Herman mm-hmm. in, if it's Herman, 
you get your new manager in as quickly as possible, just because it gives them more time to kind of understand mm-hmm. uh, the ins and outs of the teams and, and understand from a first person perspective yeah. exactly mm-hmm. who wants to stay and who wants to go. Right. Exactly. It starts McGirt saying start to learn the players as much as possible in the matches. As much as um, possible. And the, yeah. arg- the argument for waiting is, you know, giving the manager a clean slate and a manager the time to learn the ins and outs of the club, not on the fly. Because mm-hmm. when the reality is, if you do in- insert a manager halfway through, not even halfway through, with nine games left in the season here, mm-hmm. you are doing the job on the fly instead of kind of. And yeah, but to... the the only people that are going to be upset about it are the people that were unrealistic in the first place that expected major changes to happen that we would pull a league's cup and immediately you know uh, uh, <laughs> win MLS Cup right that ain't happening. So as long as we're realistic about the the season's lost and whether it's it's Terry at the helm or Herdman at the helm, you know there's not the, there's not going to be much to love about it. And it, it, it just mm-hmm. is what it is. And so uh, as long as we're realistic about that and as, and you know, we won't be, but, but as long as the, there are people realistic about that, I don't, I don't see any issue. And, and like I said, you don't sit, you don't take the job to sit on the sidelines. So the second you take the job, it's your job. The buck stops with you. I would hate to, I, I think it would be a war crime. If, if, if I took the job and I let Terry, stay in the in the gaffer seat just getting pelted with vegetables by the by the tfc fandom when he didn't have to i think that that's that's a horrible thing to do to the man so i would want to get in there as quickly as possible yeah um just saying here in the chat what's going on with paul Stalteri? so paul Stalteri, uh judd molinero was the one to report this and what my understanding of it is that he's still on Toronto FC's payroll and the club is making a decision here whether or not when they do appoint their new manager, what kind of role Paul Stalteri can play with the club. Mm-hmm. And it may not be an assistant yep. coaching role. It could be beyond an assistant coaching role. But at this time, he's not part of Terry Dunfield's coaching staff. So his future still could be with Toronto FC, but that's going to be something that we have to wait on and, and hear more about. But TFC still mm-hmm. value Paul Solitaire and the club's still on good terms with Paul, obviously a Canadian icon. But speaking of Canadian icon, yeah. uh, Gray's asking here, uh, do we know more about D-Row's involvement? Not beyond what I reported on Friday. Um, mm. Dwayne D. Rosario, for the past three weeks, if you missed it, he's been working with TFC's strikers. Um, he's been doing that in training, so... Technically, uh, part of TFC's technical coaching staff yesterday. There was no agreement beyond yesterday, but mm. I wouldn't be surprised that as long as Terry Dunfield remains in the driver's seat here, that D Rowe, who is his good friend, of course, stays and on and helps TFC's strikers the rest of the way, as long as Terry Dunfield's in the mix. When he's not, it might sure. be something the club reevaluates because obviously the new coach wants to bring in their own staff here. Um, but it's been cool, at least, to see D Rowe. Uh, be involved with the club because we know the mark that he has left on. Nobody knows MLS like a guy who hasn't put on his boots since 2014. Knows the league like crazy. I mean, whatever. I saw saw people run with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought it's a bit overblown. Um, Turtz really wants us to talk about Seba before we go. Turtz. Oh, yeah. If it's it's 125K in Garber Bucks that disappear in 2024, 
sign the man, sign the man. Why not? Let him, let him, let him lace up the boots, give him the send off. He doesn't deserve because he left us in, in such dire straits, but you know, everybody likes a happy ending. Uh, I, I'm completely okay with it. Why not? Why not? Like just, just so that we never ever talk about it again, get him, get him there, give him his flowers, (laughs) get him out. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of where I I fall. I'm like, what do we have to lose mm-hmm. the rest of the season? I think it'd be a nice yeah, way. We've to, got nothing to lose to send off Sebastian Javinko. And hey, if odds are against him, but if hypothetically, mm-hmm. if Sebastian Javinko all of a sudden shows that he can still hang in Major League Soccer, I mean, look, this is a guy who was literally the best player to I think ever play for Major League Soccer until Lionel Messi joined, but. Let's just still Carlos keep Vela his kind of kind of shredded. Mark and Joseph Martinez and Carlos Vela would like a word, but yeah, I, I don't I, know. I, I don't agree. know. I still think Vela in his prime. Yeah, I'd take him uh, in his prime. In his prime, unbelievable player. But the league has changed, and he has changed. And Father Time, uh, you, no one can escape Father Time. If he yeah. wants to put his his reputation on the on t- on on the fire, if he wants to ante up his reputation as a world beater to come back and huff and puff his way through 20 garbage minutes here or there for a league minimum in Garber bucks that we aren't getting back. Who cares, man, let him, let him have it. Like maybe he just really loves the new kit and wants to wear it. So, you know, let's just go. Yeah. Let's I've, go. I've seen some people make the argument. So this is the argument against Seba. Uh, one of the things people say mm-hmm. is that it's going to be taken minutes away from some of the younger players uh for me like the last nine games eight games of the season that's not a major concern because sebastian nope, is not gonna be starting matches he's gonna be coming off the bench he's gonna be playing the last 10 minutes of matches hypothetically or roughly mm-hmm. around there um and he's a, he's a guy that can could be a good role model for younger players at this point in, in his career um i do mm-hmm. think there is some value in that as well uh, the other thing 100%. people are making is that this could kind of taint Seba's legacy if it might whatever these will it if he will sucks the, out the... there it's really gonna put a frown on on the faces of people that still think he's awesome unrealistically and like he's gonna put it's going to be in sh- if he is huffing and puffing out there like his age suggests you know it's going to be a very difficult uh, uh, situation for people that are slagging Michael Bradley for losing his pace and then watching, you know, the atomic ant uh, just eat it out there. So, so we'll see. If it was, we'll see. But like I said, if it was two mm-hmm. seasons worth Jeff, I'd agree with you. If it's eight or mm-hmm. nine games of cameo appearances off the bench, no one's going to question his legacy. You know what? You're right. Opinion. You're right. You're right. All the more reason to just do it already. You're right. <laughs> just do it. Just do it. Already. And I get it. Some people, some people are at the point where, like, let's just do it so people like us can just shut up about it. Just shut up <laughs> about it. it. I'm so sick of talking about it. it. Just do it already. Honestly, just do it already. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I get it. Um, <laughs> last thing, yeah, like I said, I went to the mm-hmm. game as a, as a fan last night, so it was a, it was really fun seeing a lot of fans and you know and interacting with a lot of fans, even going up from mm-hmm. CNE talking to a lot of people about how many people and, told you that you should get me off the show immediately. Was it ninety nine percent? I get I get a couple of those a day, Jeff. Um, <laughs> Jao, you got, why you gotta, Jao, why mm-hmm. you gotta call me out like this, man? Come on. He's asking oh, why I oh, left oh. in the 79th minute last night. Um, so that was right after the red card and, mm-hmm. and the penalty. Now, I got to say, I'm going to throw my friends and my girlfriend on the bus. It was 
hard for them to resist the urge of getting a deep fried Mars bar outside at the CNE mm-hmm. and or staying and watching the rest of that game of TFC at 10 men. Me personally, guys, you know, you already know I'm there. I'm staying till of course 95th minute. I'm staying till the players walk out. I mean, I'm there every game to do post game pressers and stuff. Yeah, he doesn't leave until th- one in the morning. Th- he's he li- he lives at BMO. Like you know, he's the last person that's leaving early. No, no, I'm I'm team I'm team <laughs> totally Mikey Singh. This ja- this Jow guy's a he, he, he's trying to throw you under the bus. And this is despite the fact that you put me on blast for the James Sharman text message where he revealed the extent of my injuries. And trust me, I owe Sharman uh, uh, putting him on blast as well. But anyway, uh, yeah. no, Zhao, no, that's no, that. Zhao's, uh, Zhao's jokes. That's uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He caught me, man. I gotta, I gotta own up to it. I did, I did leave the game early last night. But like I said, it was tough to resist the call of the CNE. And it's because when you of Zhao, Zhao, Zhao wanted CNE's his uh, deep fried Mars bar. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, another jam packed episode. I'm sorry if we didn't get to all of your comments. I tried to get to as many as them as I could, but you guys know where to find us. We'll be back at the same time next week. Um, we'll be teeing up the, or recapping, I think the, the Columbus match, by the way, Columbus three nil thrashing. Oh, FC Cincinnati Hell is real leaders. I mean, Columbus, they lost Lucas Zellaran, but they brought in Diego Rossi. You see Jason Russell Rowe lighting up, lighting up for them. Aiden Morris, who at one point was a possible Canadian national mm-hmm. team player, but of course he's committed now to the United States. So they've got a really fun team going on there. Uh, Tim Bezbachenko and a hell of a coach. For Nazi. Hell of a coach. Oh yeah. So TFC's on the road at lower.com field Saturday night. Our Saturday nights are back. It was nice to have a little bit break, but we know where to find us on Saturday nights. Uh, before we go, big, big favor to ask as always, please guys spread the news about the show. Mike Newell said this, I'm just going to echo this. We're going at a really fast rate. And even though times are tough right now, times are hard. Uh, the viewership and you guys engage so nicely with, with us. We get so much engagement. So we thank you guys as as a loyal watcher or listener. If you guys are listening to this back on the podcast, um, yeah. So do us a favor, just please share the love with your TFC loving friends, and find us and subscribe slash follow. I guess for us um, on all of the platforms. So we're on YouTube Live. So please do us a favor, hit that little subscription button, hit that little bell. You'll know that when we go live. Usually it's on Monday nights, and we'll be back Monday night next week. Uh, follow us on Twitter. We're growing there pretty quickly as well. And then, of course, do us a huge favor. If you're listening back to this on the podcast, please leave a five-star review. Make sure you subscribe to the pod. Uh, it does join the next door group. That's really well. And yeah, of course, join the Toronto C fan group on Nextdoor to get even more TTID content. But for now, for myself, and Jeffrey P. Nesker, yeah. <laughs> for Mike Newell, who is chilling by a fire pit right now. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. And wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die.